As you find your seats, if you'll take God's word with me and turn to the book of Ephesians. And as we turn again, I, I got to tell you again this morning of what a joy it is to be a part of this family and what privilege it is to be before you and open up God's word. Sometimes I wish you could see inside when we're singing inside me and see my knees knocking and saying, Lord, these people, they need to hear from you. These are your dearly loved children. Would you please speak through a broken vessel? What privilege it is. Thanks for journeying with me. Thanks for being family with me. I just thank you for the way you love Jesus. And it's awesome that we can open up his word together as family and dig in and say, God, what do you have for us? Teach us. Teach us afresh. We're yours. And we want to radiate that reality. So this morning, we're going to wrap up a Family Matters series. And, you know, series to a preacher, it's important to us. It's important to our worship team. For you, you probably just show up on a Sunday and, yeah, Jeff's talking about Family Matters. That's great. But this is the last one of this series. We start in Ephesians 4. We're going to stop here in Ephesians 6, 4. Uh, we'll come back to it because we are family. Every week we talk about Family Matters. Every week we talk about the kingdom. But this week we will uh, be terminating this particular series and we'll be coming back um, and looking at family matters again throughout God's word because this is really what it is. God's word. And unbelievably, we are his family. Let's look at God's word together. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. If you don't have your Bible, uh, it's printed for you in the bulletin uh, along there with the sermon notes. It also should be on the screen behind me. But bring them. Bring your Bibles. Uh, Let's dig in. Let's learn God's Word together. God's holy and errant Word says this for us today. Children, don't you love a covenant God who's going to give us holy, inerrant, infallible Word and He's going to start off with children? Listen, He's addressing them. They're a part of us. It doesn't say this. Parents, we want to make sure you tell this to your children and press this upon them, although it's important too. They're here. This is why a covenant God and covenant baptism are so important to this family. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Interestingly, it seems like the second commandment has a promise with it. This is a specific promise. It says in the land. It's not necessarily talking anymore about just the promised land. But as Moses gave to God's people, uh, this was one of the top ten commandments. Honor your father and mother. We see that Jesus himself quotes this. We see that Paul is using this. This is something for God's people throughout time. When he's talking to the children, he says, I want you to obey When he's talking to the wise, we looked at that last week. And when he talks to us, he tells us all that we must be in submission. He tells us all that we must be obeying. This word obey is even more powerful than that word to submit. And how do we honor? We honor by obeying. In verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers. Certainly, Paul is also including mothers. Fathers and mothers were talking here, but as the head of the household, he's addressing fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Let us pray. Father, I know for sure that as your family gathered in your name, we need to hear from you. Father, we need to be reminded of what your Son has done for us so that we truly can call out, Abba, Father. Father, we thank you for the love you've lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Jesus, we thank you for the reality of your work that that is what we are. Spirit, we thank you for your ministry that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, triune God, we need you to come and open up our ears Spirit, illumine our minds, illumine your words so that we understand what Father has for us to do. What it means to be a dearly loved children and imitating our great God. I know, Father, that you want to tell your story through our lives, through our families. Father, our families simply are there by your design and your mercy and grace to tell your love story to show the work of your obedient son and how we now can be a part of this holy family God speak 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 we are listening the things that I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion may they quickly fall away and be forgotten But the things that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us be kingdom seekers? To be a family that's not dysfunctional, but a family that's a city on a hill for you. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. If you were here last week, we looked at marriages. And the way we started with marriages was very, very important. We wanted to kind of back up and before we put marriages under the microscope and we started to dissect the roles of of wives and husbands we wanted to back up and look at the fact that marriage is really something so much more than your love affair with your wife or your husband marriage is God's love affair with us And even last week as we read through Ephesians 5, and here's the Apostle Paul, and he's telling us about the roles of marriage. And we're getting confused because we're saying sometimes, is he talking about the church? Is he talking about marriage? And the answer is yes. Because really, God's gift to us in marriages is he wants to declare his love for us in Christ Jesus pictured in marriages. If we don't get that, we don't really understand marriage. And it's incredibly profound. And it's the same with family. You see, what we often want to do as Christians, especially Western Christians, is get down to the nuts and bolts of what does God want me to do and tell me how to be that that parent that I need to be and help raise kids that are going to stay out of trouble and and kids that aren't going to embarrass me and kids that are going to be productive uh, uh, members of society. Let's get right to the point. But really, we can't get right to the point until we see what the point of parenting, what the point of families really is. And it's one point. And it's very similar to last week's point, and it's this. That families are designed to model God's love to us in Christ too. Listen, the reason we are family, the reason we sing that song, and the reason we do this is because we are family. And here's some really good news. It's much more important than just our family here at Orangewood. 
I mean, we talk about we are family. What we're saying is, by the love of God and the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ the Son, we truly are His family. And we want to now, once we understand that, we want to look to Him to see what roles we need to play in the family so that we can be a functional family. Left on our own, we will be dysfunctional. That's the way I will naturally run as a sinner. But God is going to tell us this is how we're to do it. Now, there's three things that I have for us today. And i got to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous because I don't want to get lost in any of them. The first one is so important that it's kind of the foundation. It's this. Families are designed to model God's love to us in Christ. That's why we're there. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the fact that it's so important for some of us. Of us this will be a reminder For some of us, this might be new, but we're going to ask, how are we a part of God's family? How does this happen? What story does he want to tell through us? So we're going to start there. It's so important. But then we're going to go to honor roll children. Or what does it mean for our children to be in submission? How do they need to act in a way that glorify God? And lastly, but not least, really in a lot of ways I want to start here, it's parenting to empower why God has called us and given us a great role of parenting and how we're to use our power. God always gives power to those who are stronger to be a blessing to the weaker, to be really used to glorify Him. So that's it. So the first thing is this. Families are designed to model God's love for us in Christ. And if you have want to follow along in the bulletin, this outline is there. You might want to scribble some notes as we go along. Unbelievable, God's Word tells us this. God's word clearly paints for us a picture of who we are naturally. Who we are in our natural state. What the Bible will say is our sinful state. It says that by nature, sin has caused us to be dead to spiritual things. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. By nature, we are children of wrath. If you look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, it says specifically that. Even look very closely at verse 3. It's nothing that I want to look at. It doesn't make me feel good, but that's the reality. By nature, on my own, who I am is a depraved man. By nature, a holy, perfect God should look at me and does look at me as a not a child of his, but a child of wrath. Peter will say it this way. At one time, we were not a people. One time we did not belong to God. I mean, it's just because we're made in his image, which is an incredible gift that he's given us, and it does certainly give us worth and dignity, but it doesn't immediately make us part of the family. So what do we do? How do we get there? Well, John tells us in this, in 1 John 3, 1, if you have your Bibles, turn to there. It's one of my most favorite passages, unbelievably. But John, 1 John 3, 1 says this, See... What kind of love the Father has given to us. And really, if you're reading um, uh, this translation, it says giving. It doesn't have nearly enough weight. It says this. See what kind of love the Father has lavished, has poured out upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. You see, it begins this way. Families, being a part of God's family, all initiates with the Father's love. Remember, dads, our family should all begin initiated with the Father's love. 
Without the Father's love, we could never be called the children of God. We would be called the children of wrath. At best, we should be called illegitimate, if not much more worse, if not much worse. But these, this family that we are, Scripture tells us, this love, this lavish love, begins before time began, before He created anything. He has a love for us that He is going to make us family. So the first thing is this, a father's love for us that makes it possible for us to be children. But then it says this in 1 John 3, 1, which I really love. It says this, and so we are. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty ridiculously excited about the fact that God would just call me his child. And if he just wanted to give me that name, and he just wanted to use it in a tender term, unbelievable that a sinner like Jeff Jakes, deserving wrath, now can be called child. But really what makes this whole passage sing to me, what gives it wings, what really blows away our minds, he says this, so that is who you are. That is who you are. Now the question that you and I got to ask as intellectual beings is how? Does God the Father just love us in such a way that all of a sudden we are transformed from those who by nature are children of wrath into now a, a lovable being? Does the Father's love so lavish us that now all of a sudden it's morphed us into something lovable? And the answer is no, not alone. You see, a son's love for us is what secures our sonship or our adoption for us. What we're going to clearly see in this picture of family that our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, each love us with an eternal love. Each are working uh, uniquely to make us part of family. So as Son's love for us, it secures sonship and adoption for us. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verse 4, it's paralleled in Romans 8. But this is an incredible passage of scripture that tells us how the son's love has made us his children look at galatians 4 4 but when the fullness of time has come when time was pregnant when god's redemptive plan was just perfect god sent forth his son his eternal son the word made flesh born of a woman this is a virgin birth born of a woman um, fully man fully god born under the law why did he do it Because he would love us so much. Look at verse 9. To save us, he would have to become one of us. Because the Father lavished the love on us that we would become children. There was, before time began, a covenant between Father and Son to come and rescue his children, those he placed his love on, to redeem those under the law. You see, those under the law, sinners like us, apart from Christ, children of wrath. But Jesus has come to redeem us, to buy us back. Buy us back, to buy us to the Father, to make us presentable and beautiful. Why? So that we might receive adoptions as sons. Isn't it beautiful? The Father has an eternal love. He's lavished on us. The Son has an end-time ministry that He comes and rescues us so that we can be adopted as sons. And because we are sons, it's a reality, those of us who are His Now we see the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, giving us the gift of faith, giving us the ability to believe. So it comes into our hearts so we can cry out to the Creator of the universe, 
daddy, father. We shouldn't be able to sit there and take this too lightly. It should be really rocking our worlds, children of wrath. That God would demonstrate this incredible love for us. That he would give us his son. The father and son would give us the spirit. So that we are no longer, verse 7, slaves. But we are sons. And if we are a son, then an heir to God. Jesus is saying, it's not enough that you're going to be adopted in this family. All that I deserve as the truly unbegotten one. As God's only unique son. All that I've earned for completely fulfilling the law. All the blessings that are mine, I richly pour out to you in Christ Jesus. Listen, those of you who have adopted children and have experienced the beauty of this, you might have a unique vantage point from the rest of us, but I think it gives us a pretty good uh, scope to look through. You see, the fathers, it begins with a father whose love for us starts the adoption process. A father would love us so much But it took the redeeming work of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, to make it legally possible. You see, the Father has allowed us to love on us so we can be called that. But apart from the legal work of a son becoming our substitution on the cross, the adoption will not work. A penalty had to be paid. So the redeeming work of Christ makes it legally possible for sinners like us to become his children. And now the Spirit, the Spirit is sent for those the Father has eternally loved, those the Son has died for. Now the Spirit comes and makes us alive so we can cry out, Daddy. It's hard for me even this morning to sing about before the throne of God It's one of my favorite songs, but do we really believe that he's daddy? Do we really believe our names are graven on his hands? Do we really believe that he's lavished this love on us, that we really are his children? That Satan, he can accuse us, and he can say, you don't deserve it. You're right, we don't. By nature, children of wrath, but we're his, and he loves us. And he's not going to change his mind about us. Never. Because he can't change his mind about his own son, Jesus, who did everything that we were supposed to do perfectly. Paid the death, the penalty of what we owed because of our own sins. Completely. It's unbelievable. And now, are we all automatically, how do we receive this incredible gift? We see our, our receiving the gift into family is not a universal one. It's not every human being that it was ever created. John 1.12, turn to the Gospel of John. Look at John 1.12. It says it very clearly. But to all who did receive him, to those, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, male or female or child. It doesn't matter where tribe or tongue or nation. But for whoever, for all who would receive him, who believe in his name, Unbelievably, we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to all of a sudden stop being children of wrath. All we got to do is acknowledge we are children of wrath on our own. But we're going to embrace and receive Christ as Savior. We're going to ask forgiveness of our sins. We're going to acknowledge that He is God's Son, came to save and rescue sinners like us. To all who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. Isn't that awesome? That's who we are. Is that you? Are you here this morning thinking that religion will get you into becoming a child of God? Are you here this morning thinking just because you're the human race you're a child of God? 
Well, it's unbelievable the love He's lavished on us. It's unbelievable the work Christ has done for us. But until we receive, until we believe, now Jeff, are you saying it's up to me? No, even that's up to God. Look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are his family. We are his family. See the picture of this. Before time began, God set a unique love on his family. He said, this group of people that God's word says is the elect, this is my bride. This is my family. This is those that I'm setting a unique love upon. So much so that I'm going to send my son and he's going to make legally possible so that they really can be. No one can ever accuse us of not doing this right according to God's law. They really will be my family. I'm going to send my spirit so they can really truly cry out. Jesus is going to come and he's going to find his sheep. His sheep will know his name and he will not let one of them go. Jesus is coming. He says, I'm going to shed my blood, not for this world, but I'm going to set it for my family, for my church. And this is all according to the will of God. Jesus, even in his high priestly prayer, says, I'm going to pray for family. I'm going to pray for every one of those the Father has given to me. And I'll never let them go. You see, because we are family, we have family responsibilities. Really, that family responsibilities is imitating the Father. Look at Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Are we dearly loved? Yes, look in the face of Jesus. Are we dearly loved? Yes, feel that spirit in us crying out, Abba, Father. But now he says, as dearly loved children, be imitators of the Father. In verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it mean to imitate Father? It means to live a life of love. He leads with love. Hallelujah. God the Father leads with love. Have you heard me? If he led with judgment, we're toast. He leads with love. His son lived a perfect life of love and a life of sacrifice. That's the life now we imitate. You see, what God wants to do is he wants to tell his story through our families. And we see the role in the big picture. We can understand our roles in our families. It's so important. Do you see it? You see, as Christians, we are all his children. We all need to obey the Father. He says this, if you love me, you will obey me. This is honoring to me. We parents, it begins with us. We need a model to our children that we obey Father. That we obey His Word. That we submit to His Word. That we honor Him. Parents, we are to model the Father's love to our own children. It's supposed to be a model. It begins with us. The way He initiates with love. The way He provides for us. The way He protects us. The way He rescues us. Our parenting is to model His reality and love for us. Children, you play a role in this too. You are to model Jesus' willingness, being equal with the Father, His willingness to obey His own Father. You know, Jesus was even willing to obey His earthly parents. So that's the picture we have of family. The second one is this, honor roll children. Again, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In light of the reality we are God's family, our role as children is to bring God honor. Are you here, young person? Your role ultimately is here to glorify God. God has put you in this role to tell his story. And it gets real practical right here. Please listen, children. 
Please listen, parents, as we think of how we respond to our Heavenly Father. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. You see, obedience is evidence. It's proof that you are honoring them. It says this in Colossians 3.20. Paul says this, Obey your parents. You ready for this? In everything. In everything. It says it. Look there if you want. Colossians 3.20. Obey your parents in everything. Young people. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with your parents. And ultimately, we can't be right with our parents until we understand this right relationship with God. You see, see, it says this, obey your parents in the Lord. That's such an important phrase, in the Lord, because we realize that Scripture says all authority, Romans 13, all authority, including your mom and dad, have been established by God. So young people, you ready for this? If all authority has been established by God and we are to obey them in the Lord, guess what? It doesn't matter what your friend's parents are doing. It just doesn't any longer matter. I mean, you can't use that. You can't say, well, so-and-so is able to do this and -and so-and-so's parents are able to do that. That's not your concern nor your parents' concern. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You see, wow. We almost got Baptist on us. That was really nice. Believe it or not, young people, if God is God and he is the one who says all authority has been established by him, your mom and dad are yours by God's design. They'll have to give an account for how they're parenting you. They'll have to give an account for how they are loving you. That's his job, not yours. So we realize in the Lord, it realizes basically saying, God, we realize that you have given us these parents. But I love this as well. It says, in the Lord. So what what does this also mean? It makes very clear, young people. In the Lord means ultimately you obey him first. Ultimately, your obedience is to God. And if your parents are asking you to obey that which is clearly sinful, if you're confused about that, come talk to an elder or pastor, or clearly harmful, and it does not include homework, (laughs) then it is in the Lord. They don't have the right to do anything they want to hoard over power. They're not acting Christ-like. But they are your parents. You obey them in everything unless it's sinful. Unless there's some perversion in it. For this is right. This is right according to who? God. Obey your parents is right. The scripture repeats over and over and over again, this is what we are to do. Why is this right? Because it tells his story. Sons and daughters, it is right to obey your parents. Here comes another amen. So therefore, we don't have to ask anymore, why? 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 Give me a logical explanation for me to execute your plan. Tell me why it would benefit me to obey you. Have you not heard that? And really, we want to throw this one out as a trump card because it is right. Because sometimes we can't explain ourselves. But the truth is, in the Lord, it is always right. Just like Jesus would say, not my will, but your will be done, Father. I've come to do your will. I've come to do the Father's business. I've come to be obedient. 
And in our obedience, we tell his story. And I love this. It says this, that it may go well with your parents. It doesn't say that. Woo-hoo! It says that it may go well with you. It certainly will go well with your parents if you're obeying them and honoring them. Amen? But young people, God's word says, so that it may go well with you. So that you can feel God's pleasure. Your parents' pleasure too. God's best for you is obedience to him and to your parents. It's his best. I remember... uh, I was asked to be uh, best man in the wedding for my absolute best friend in the whole wide world. He was getting married. I was in college. He was getting married right at exam time. His, he was a missionary. He had to be in the States. I was in the state of Florida. He was in the state of California. This is the only uh, friend that I would ever have the privilege of being a best man to in, in the wedding. And he called me, and I knew it was coming. I was so excited. And he said, Jeff, I want you to be your, my, my best man. Of course, David, I'm there. I'm with you. This will be awesome. When are you get married? Oops, I got some exams, but I'll get around those. No problem. I call up mom and dad. Say, hey, mom and dad, great news. David's getting married. They practically raised him. Oh, that's exciting. That's phenomenal. They asked me, he asked me to be the best man, of course. Well, I'm going to go to California on this day right in the middle of exams. And dad said, no, you're not. You're going to get done with exams. So I hung up the phone and said, yeah, whatever. College student, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to have my own life. I mean, he's just dead wrong. And to this day, I think he still was dead wrong. <laughs> still tell him about it. And wouldn't you know it, God sent a mentor of mine to, my, in, in to uh, knock on my door. And I was able to tell him with venom, can you believe my mom and dad, the meanest people on earth? I always was a kid who had to go on first. I was always a kid who couldn't do all these things. They always never let me have that much fun. And now they're telling me I can't go see my best friend and stand up next to him and be his best man. They're, no way. They're 1,200 miles away. I'm going to go. And this low-life friend of mine pulls out God's word <laughs> and tells me that I'm to honor my father and mother. And he was right. And I didn't go. But I know sometimes it's with a cost. But it's true that it may go well with you, that you may know God's pleasure. You may live long life in the land. And certainly we can't equate this, that if you obey, that you're guaranteed long life. This is too much of a cruel world. I like what John Stott says about this. He's really going back to the promised land. Listen, if you do and you obey these laws, if you honor me, you're going to stay there. You're going to be in that promised land. You're going to avoid uh, exile and my wrath. And ultimately, for the community health, it is best to, for us to have a long life as we head toward the new heavens and new earth. Okay, we got to hurry. Um, honor roll children. That is our call. And then parenting to empower. You see, parents, we have to parent in a way. Listen, parents, we have to parent in a way that tells his story. We got to get over our egos in the way our kids are reflecting the way we feel about ourselves. We got to get over the fact that their misbehaving makes us feel like we're bad parents. We got to realize there's a whole bigger story here. We're raising up the next generation of kingdom warriors. We're telling his story, and ultimately, we're modeling his love for our children, his love for them in us. We have been given the incredible power of being parents. But this power, listen, this power is to empower. God has placed your children in your home 
ultimately, not to be the best soccer player, not to get the highest SATs, not to get in an Ivy League school. Ultimately, he has given you your children so they will be disciples of Christ and lovers of God. Sometimes it feels like in parenting, survival should be our goal. But really, making disciples in Christ is. And I'm going to give you three points. Uh, great book. Carl Smith led a wonderful class, Parenting Without, uh, Without Perfection. Katie was in the class. Um, some of these notes come right from them. One is uh, survival isn't the goal. Making disciples of Christ is. I love this. Focus on influencing their beliefs, whether in trying to control their behavior. Did you hear me? Focus on influencing their beliefs and then controlling their behavior. I love Joseph. Joseph is going to give us a model of what it's like to live holy in the promised land. Um, Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, uh, and I can't imagine that temptation. I can't imagine being sold down the river by my brothers, being that lonely, and being sold out by God, and having some woman come to me day after day after day after day, saying, come to bed with me, and not trying to find a little bit of solace in someone else's arms. But Joseph unbelievably says this, how could I do this and sin against God? You see, it was his belief system that was ingrained in him that affected his behavior. It wasn't, hey, don't have premarital sex or extramarital sex. That's really bad. It's the understanding that his sex life was to reflect the holiness of God and his relationship with him. It's so much better than do's and don'ts of morality. It's a story of our God and our relationship with him. And Joseph, because of his beliefs, was able to say, I cannot do this and sin against God. You see, think relationship before rules. We don't get right with God because of rules, do we? Listen, this is so primary. We never get right with God because of rules. We get right with God because of relationship. Relationship with Jesus. And now, because of right relationships, these rules help us to live godly lives to tell his story. The Pharisees had rules, but they didn't have relationship, and it was a mess. So it's not about the rules be above the relationship. It's their hearts. And he says this, do not provoke your children to anger. I love what Colossians 3.21 says. It's, Father, don't provoke your children. At least they become discouraged. A couple of thoughts. One is this unrealistic expectations. How much expectations are you putting on your kid to make the honor roll, to be the best athlete, to make the first chair in band? All these work-based loving our children. Do this, do that, do this. And seeing what they don't do and shaking our heads. My kids know. I could look at them and they know I'm disappointed. And so much is wrapped up in works. And always leads to anger. Parents, Our primary goal should be that our children love Jesus. Do we really believe this? I mean, is really our our final sellout all together goal is that our kids come at the end of the day, love Jesus, no matter what they get on their SATs, no matter if they make the cut or not, no matter how they compare the kid across the street, no matter what gifts God has given to them, is our primary goal that they love Jesus? Do we really believe it? 
It says this, bring them up. If we really good at this, we bring them up. We nourish our children. I love what Calvin says. We finally cherish them. How do we finally cherish them? How do we nourish our children? And two things, discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. Discipline. God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12, verses 5b through 11. I wanted to read it. I don't have time, but I want you to go back. I want you to look at that. Hebrews 12, 5b um, through uh, 12 basically says this. Because God loves us as sons, he's going to treat us as sons. And God disciplines all those he loves. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. And if we really love our children, if we really love them, we are disciplining our own children. We're setting boundaries for them. Proverbs 12, 17. Discipline yourself, your son and daughter. And they will give you rest. And they will give you delight to your heart. Set boundaries. Set boundaries for your children and they will flourish. Love them enough to discipline them. Let your yes be yes, parents, and your no be no. Don't spare the rod and spoil the child. Love them enough to set the boundaries. And here's the greatest thing I could tell you about this. You're the parent. It's amazing how we negotiate with them. Don't do that. Okay, well, don't do it again. Well, if you do it one more time, you're in trouble. All right, well, the next time you do it, it's really going to be bad. I mean, set boundaries. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't negotiate. (laughs) It seems we live in that time. I I, I remember standing in line for the the Tower of London and watching a parent interchange. And listen, it could have been me. But they were pleading with their kid to behave. And every time he misbehaved, okay, we, no more. Oh, no more. I'm just thinking, who's really got the authority here? Love them to discipline them. Secondly is instruction. Listen, Christian education is not an option for your children. Christian education is not an option for your children. Christian school is, but Christian education is not. And if you're going to Christian school, it doesn't abdicate your responsibilities. Deuteronomy 6, 7, teach your children diligently Make it, when you sit down, when, you, when you're in your house, when you're walking along the way and you're lying down, and when you rise, teach your children. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way she should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Parents, how many of you got the uh, flashcards out now? How many of you are out, you sit down and read with your kids? And how many of you are going to make sure they do their homework? And how many of you are going to make sure you teach them the best you can? And I'm so, my, my kids are so far beyond me in math and different things right now. But remember... I can't help my kids anymore in trigonometry and geometry and all those things. You can't pass on what you don't have. You have family devotions. I mean, we, we, have, we believe in the Westminster standards as the, the best tool that tells us the theology of the God's word. There's the shorter catechism, even in modern English. Bring it to the table with you. Read it through. Discuss it with your children. We are family. We're his family. And we need to build up our individual families so that we can be that city on a hill, so we can tell his story, so that we can truly love one another. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for just so much instruction you have for us today. Uh, Father, thank you for the love you've lavished upon us that we could be called children of God. Jesus, thank you for your work for us, the love you've given to the Father and to us by coming and redeeming us through your precious blood and your righteousness. Spirit, thank you for your ministry of giving us faith and a new heart that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Oh, we are yours as your family. May we respond telling your story and your love to one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.